message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. God, we so desperately need you to speak to us, Lord. And so, Father, we pray today that you would do it by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel chapter 20, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4. It says, Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, <clears throat> What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it, it is not so. And David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. Today we're talking about relationships because relationships are everything. Friendships, marriage relationships, work relationships, relationships with your kids. You win at relationships, you win at life. Fail at relationships and your life is just annoying. Amen? I'm sorry, is this for you this morning? Everybody's like, my relationships are perfect. Listen, here's what we're talking about today is relationships. Why? Because this story of Jonathan and David is a story of a great relationship between two guys. We could speed through 1 Samuel 20, but we're slowing down to look at this because there's some basic principles of relationships that we can look at between Jonathan and David that are going to help you as well. But here's what I want you to do this morning. It's going to be very hard. I want you to think about yourself as we go through this sermon. I don't want you to think about the problem with your spouse or the problem with your boss or the problem with your friend or the problem with anybody else. I want you to think about you because honestly, the problem in most relationships is you. This isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't every, every relationship trick or tool in the book, but what it is, is just a few big rocks that we can look at this morning to help us in our relationships. And it shows the foundations of some of the relationship uh, issues uh, that people deal with. But also it shows how Jonathan and David's relationship works so well. And if you want to have good, meaningful relationships, you, you've got to live by some basic principles. And again, this applies in your marriages, in your friendships, in your work relationships. And even more so, it, it applies to relationships within God's church. Churches have problems because they have problems with relationships. So the title of today's message is, Have Great Relationships. I was going to title it, Have Great Relations, but Crystal said no. So the first, (laughs) look up the definition, it works as well. So the, the, the first, the first thing we want to talk about this morning is that great relationships are self-reflective. Great relationships are self-reflective. First Samuel verse 20, uh, excuse me, first Samuel 20 verse 1, it says, Then David fled from Nioth to Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So as we've been walking through first Samuel over the last few months, we've seen the story of David and dealing with Saul 
Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. David is the heir apparent. And there's this battle between David and Saul where Saul, because he's a jealous monster, wants to kill David. And so they kind of go on this back and forth where David's fleeing Saul. And so here we are again. Saul wants to kill David. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan and David have become the best of friends, even though Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan kind of becomes a protector of David in the midst of this relationship where David is constantly running from King Saul. David has killed Goliath. Saul had these plan, uh, had these promises. Saul doesn't follow up with his promises. In this moment, David has every right to complain about Saul. He has every right to say something bad about Saul. He has every right to speak against Saul because Saul is being a knucklehead. But David doesn't do that. The first place that David looks is in himself. He says to his friend Jonathan, what's wrong with me? Is there something I'm doing wrong? Why why does your dad constantly try to kill me? I'm I'm doing everything I'm trying to do, but, but, but let me know, Jonathan, what is it inside of me that needs to be fixed? What is it inside of me that needs to be changed? Because I, I, I'm getting really tired of your dad trying to kill me all the time. So if there's something that I need to change, let me know what it is. And I love it that David starts with himself. He doesn't start with, let me tell you what's so bad about my boss. He doesn't start with, you know what the problem with my husband or wife is? You know what the problem is with my kids? The problem with my neighbor is this. No, he starts with himself. I mean, the truth is, Saul's evil. He's a dirtbag. The truth is, David has done not anything wrong. But here's what I love about David. You know, they talk about how David was a man after God's own heart. And so in this moment, he shows that heart where he says, you know what? I so desperately want to honor God with my life that I'm just, man, I want to be as clean as possible. I want to make sure there's nothing inside of me that's wrong. And so even though I am uh, in the world's eyes, I'm justified to say that the problem is not me at this point. I'm still going to look inside of myself and say, where have I gone wrong? I mean, this is the heart of David, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Psalm 26, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind. Try my heart. You know what's interesting? You can get a lot done in your spiritual life when you spend time reflecting before God, asking Him to reveal the things that you need to work on. Start with yourself. People want to have these big spiritual experiences like, man, I want to know God. I want God to speak to me. Pray prayers that he can easily answer. Go before God and say, God, what's wrong with me? And then be quiet and listen. And he will tell you. He always answers that prayer. See, part of of the problem we have in America is that we, we, we live in a constant buzz. A a, a constant like, I'm on my phone, I'm listening to the radio, I'm watching TV, I'm always hanging out with people. Never never just like sitting, I mean you can't even fall asleep in the dark, you leave the TV on while you fall asleep because you can't even, you can't stand your own thoughts. You don't want to hear what God wants to tell you what's wrong with you. Spend some time alone, be quiet before God, say God what is it that, that I need to work on? Start with yourself. 
David even takes it farther. <laughs> he asks his friend, give me some feedback. Not, not only what's wrong with me, but hey, if there is something wrong with me, friend, let me know. Yeah. I love you. I trust you. I want to be in relationship with you. So tell me what's wrong with me. It's interesting. If, if, if you have a trusted friend or if you're married, go ahead and ask your spouse, what is it that's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> ask them. Say, hey, what, what is it that I'm doing wrong? What is it that, that I need to change in our relationship? I guarantee that they've got a list. (laughs) They've been watching you and wait. I've been waiting for this day. Hold on. Waiting. Back in 2006. (laughs) Some people just don't want to hear it though, man. No one wants that kind of feedback. But what's funny is no one can smell their own breath. I love Job 13.23. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. What does it mean to you? Do you? You. Don't put this on someone else. Don't say, I know someone that needs to lead a reflective life. I'm talking about you. Do you lead a reflective life? Do you ask God and others, are there areas of my life that need help? Are you laying your life before God to reveal things that need to be changed? See, because here's the deal. If you've given your life to Christ, you say you want to live for him. The process of justification is immediate. The process of sanctification is a lifetime. And the, the, the process of sanctification ends at death. And so you're constantly before God saying, God, what is it inside of me that needs to be changed? What is it inside of me that needs to be improved? Which parts of me do you want me to be different? Or do you only look at faults in others? See, here's what I love about the Bible is the Bible is as true today as it was thousands of years ago. People haven't changed. We just got more electronics. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 3, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't consider the plank in your own eye? It's a word picture to say, like, we'll look at people and be like, hey, you got some sawdust in your eye and you got a two by four sticking out of your eye. Jesus is like, listen, man, you got a plank. Why don't you work on that? And then you can start working on other people. And the point is, is you're never going to start stop working on yourself. Self-reflection is one of the greatest needs of a great relationship and leadership. If you want to lead your family, if you want to be a leader at work, you have to take a personal inventory of yourself. It's constant. It's pervasive. It's annoying. And it's painful. No one likes this stuff. Like, hey, I've just been looking at all the stuff wrong with me that needs to be changed. I, one of the curses of being me is that I actually probably spend too much time self-reflecting. But it's interesting, when you do do self-reflection, God will reveal things to you that you need to work on. Now, I'll I'll share with you a couple of things that I've been working on um, for the last... 20 years, uh, but I've just become really aware of it over the last six months and I'm trying, oh my gosh, I'm trying. Now I'm not sharing, I'm sharing it with you as an example. It's not something for you to bring up after today, uh, or, uh, to hold me accountable to it. But one, one of the things that I realized that I really struggle with is I've been, I, I struggle with being in the moment. Oh, I hate being in the moment. I want to be in the next moment. 
You know, I, I could be talking to my wife, my kids, one of you, and while we're talking, I, I care about what you're talking about, but I'm, I'm thinking about what's the next thing. Like, I'm like, this is really interesting, but whatever I'm doing next is probably way more interesting than what we're talking about right now. And it's, it's horrible. It's bad for relationships. It hurts people. It devalues them. And the other part that I've realized that's a part of that as well is that even when I'm in the moment and I'm in the relationship, I just want to hurry up. Like, let's go to the next thing. And so the thing that's been going through my mind is eliminate hurry from your life. Eliminate hurry from your life. And it's funny, when God reveals those things to you, then, then you have to like keep them in the forefront of your mind. You have to remind yourself all the time. Um, just a, a few weeks ago, it was Monday. Monday's my day off. Monday's my day off. And, uh, and so I had to run some errands because I have errands to run as well. And so I do a lot of those on Monday. I said, Crystal, hey, I got a handful of things that I got to go to the bank. I got to go to Home Depot. I got to go to Costco. I got to do all these other things. I said, I'll be back in probably about an hour. Come, and, and so I went into the bank and there's a armed guard out there. Bank got robbed a while ago. So now they have an armed guard and I'm welcome to Covington. And so, um, and so I saw the, uh, I saw the guy. I was like, Hey, how's it going? And I see him because you know, it's my bank. And so I went in and I came out and I was like, Hey man. Uh, and I asked him a question. I don't remember about his gun or something. And, uh, and so then he said a statement. He opened up the door to like, Hey, I stand here all day. No one wants to talk to me. You want to talk? And I knew it and I saw it and I was like, oh. Dude, it's my day off and I got stuff to do. And I know you stand here for eight hours a day, but it's my day off. And so I was like, all right, I'll just stop and talk to him for a few seconds and try to hurry up the conversation so we can. So I have things to do. I'm important. I got places to be. I ended up, and then, and then as he was talking about his wife and his life and his, all these other things, I, I heard the voice of the Lord is like, eliminate hurry from your life. Be in the moment. And I was like, Ugh. so dude, I just posted up, man. And I hung out with that security guard for probably about like 30, 40 minutes, man. Just hanging out. I came home, Crystal was like, where you been? I was like, at the bank, hanging out with the security guard. (laughs) We're friends on Facebook now. It's good. (laughs) Friends forever. That's how it's going to be. You know, what's funny is that there's actually a story in the Bible where Jesus was preaching a sermon and someone interrupted his sermon and lowered somebody through the roof because they needed to be healed. I wonder if that happened here. Like, hold on, I'm preaching. Wait. My heart sometimes is that way. If you never look at your own sin, if you never look at your own communication style, if you ever don't look at your own appearance and your attitude, it's not good. And when you do, be honest with yourself. Be brutal. Like assume that it's you. I I love, I love uh, Luke chapter 18. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole entire Bible. Um, and, and it's funny whenever people say it's, uh, their favorite passage in the Bible, little trick, it's because it applies to them most. So Luke 18, nine through 14, he says, and also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray one, a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you I'm not like those other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I, I love that that story because it's just it's our hearts, isn't it? Like we, we're so like lack self reflection. Like I'm so glad I'm not like anybody else. Like I'm glad I don't have their problems, and you know what I mean. I love it when people say things like, "Well, you know, I feed my kids." I'm like, "What? That's your job, man. That's what you do." People that think really highly of themselves have a hard time looking at their faults. If you want to have great relationships, you've got to be encouraging. So David's been attacked by Saul and, and, and David's being faithful. He's been serving God and, and by all appearances, he's doing the right thing and he's living the right way, but he's still under attack. Can, can anybody else identify with that? Doing the right thing, living the right way, but still feeling like you're under attack? Yeah, man. You, you can do the right thing, say the right thing, live the right way, and then you still seem to come under attack of other people. Yeah. Yeah. David, David's not exceptional in that regard. We've all felt that way. We've all experienced that in our own life. Now, what's interesting as we look at this story, and, and, and we'll just look at it through the eyes of today, is that like David's the one that's having all the problems. Right? David's the one that's having all the problems. He's talking to his friend Jonathan. And, and it's easy to focus on David while kind of forgetting about Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of the king. Okay? And so now he's between his friend and his dad. His dad's trying to kill his friend. And Jonathan has kind of probably his own stuff that's going on inside of his own life. He's got daddy issues. Right? This is, this is the moment where, where he steals the conversation. This is, this is the moment where David goes and he's talking about what's going on in his life. And Jonathan sees it as an open door to be like, great, we're talking about lives. Let me talk about myself. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever had that experience before? Yeah. You go to somebody like, hey man, I really need to talk to you about this really big important thing that's happened in my life. I'm hurting, I'm dying, and I'm lonely. And like, man, that's nothing. You should hear about what's going on in my life. Yeah. And then they take the relate, they take the conversation for 45 minutes. You're like, well, that was really fruitful. This is, you have got to watch this in your life because it creeps up so much. Just shut up and listen. So Jonathan picks up that David is doing bad. And what does he do? He encourages him. He encourages him. The Bible says in Proverbs twelve twenty five, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Yeah. See, Jonathan realizes that his friend is hurting and he encourages him. He says to him, you shall not die, right? David's afraid. Why is this happening? Why am I going to die? His friend comes in and is like, hold on, friend, you're going to be king. Your life's going to be well. Everything's going to be good for you. You're not going to die. I'm here to encourage you. I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this together. And again, we're going to look through this chapter in the coming weeks. And we're going to see, spoiler alert, Jonathan helps David escape Saul. But 
but we see that relationship. And so Jonathan, as his friend, says, you all, come on, friend. You're going to be good. You're going to be fine. I'm here to encourage you. If you want to have great relationships, you've got to be encouraging. The Bible talks a lot about encouragement. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. I'm sure David was encouraged after this. Sadly, people are so self-centered, they can't think about someone else's struggles because they're so involved in themselves. And I get it, man. People are always surprised to find out that I actually have issues. That I actually have problems. I've got, you didn't have to amen that so much, honey. I'm like, I got problems. Mars like, yes. We. I don't live in this magical bubble where all of a sudden all of my life's problems don't exist. I have relationship stuff that I deal with, self-value, self-worth. What am I doing? How am I living? Why do people treat me that way? Why doesn't so-and-so love me? Like all those things that, anybody else? Okay. Just making sure. We shouldn't be so self-centered. We shouldn't be so struggled with ourselves. Jonathan had some daddy issues. He should have been the heir. He looks past it and he blesses David. Romans 15, 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. What, what does it mean to you? Again, I want you to look at yourself. I don't want you to look at somebody else that you think needs to be encouraging. I'm talking about you and to you. Are you an encourager? Or are you a life-sucking force from which there's no escape? Because some people are like that. There's like a wet blanket. There's like... I just want to suck the life out of you. And, and, and the sad part is that some of these people, it's been years and no amount of encouragement seems to satisfy their need to draw from other people. And I get it, man. Some people don't have an ounce of encouragement in them. And typically they don't have any encouragement in them because no one encourages or encouraged them. So either you don't know how or you're too empty to do so. See, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. See, encouragement is the lifeblood of a relationship. It's the place where you, you learn and you grow and you help people, right? I mean, who doesn't need encouragement? People say, oh, I don't need encouragement. Well, deep down inside you do. And it's for the church. It's very important that we as the church are an encouraging place where we can build each other up. People say, well, I don't even know how to encourage. Well, here's what you do is that you make it about them and not about you. You find things to praise in another person. You find things to build them up. You're like, well, I don't know much about their lives. Well, then you ask the right question when you open up the conversation. Don't say things like, how's it going? His answer to how's it going is, let me tell you all my problems. <laughs> right? Say, how's it going in the checkout line? Like, hey, how's it going? Sometimes they will just, Bleh, right? Have you guys ever had that before? Yes. Like, dude, I got 12 items. Let me go. Come on, man. <laughs> I have time for all this. I got to get to my next thing. I'm in a big rush. It's about me. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. <laughs> 
So you just find things to encourage, like, hey, man, your hair looks really nice today. And, hey, I, I saw last week that you did this with your kids on Facebook. It's beautiful. Ask questions like, hey, man, tell me what's good in your life. What was the best thing that happened to you this week? Yeah. And you ask those type of questions with people, and then all of a sudden, they actually tell you. Because yeah. people want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about their accomplishments. What's the best thing that happened this week? Oh, I don't know. Something. Did you show up to work on time? Yes. Yay, you. You showed up to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? you got to find, find something to encourage. Find something to build people up. Here's the problem is that if the greatest ridicule you were getting in your life was because of your faith, you'd be okay. This is the goal of the church, right? Many goals. One of the goals of the church is that we gather weekly to encourage one another. Because you should be out there living for Jesus, getting beat up by the world, living out your faith demonstratively, and then you come in sore after getting beat up by them all week, and then you come in here and we encourage one another in our faith. And I understand, man, like we, we've got all these other issues in our life that need to be dealt with. I mean, we've got, you know, life issues and relationships and the church does this stuff of like, you know, marriage classes and financial classes and health classes and parenting classes and all those other things. But all of that is just to take away life issues so we can get down to the real issues and encourage you in your faith so you can live demonstratively for Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's so important to be around other Christians. It's very easy to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because here's the thing is that even if you were to accidentally fall into sin, I know it's rare as a Christian, but if you were to fall into sin, and then you're with one of your brothers and sisters in the faith, and you confess that sin, confess your sins to one another, and then they encourage you, God forgives you, God loves you, turn away from that sin, then you don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin, and then you're able to walk with Jesus until he returns. But that only happens when you come together. Be encouraging. Be an encourager, man. See, I figured this out when I was in high school. Um, I, I had a youth pastor that one time said to us, he said, uh, if you want a lot of friends, be an encourager. I'm in high school. I'm like, Psh, I want friends. That sounds awesome. Yeah. See, I, I, li- I want people to like me. Yeah. Some people are like, I don't want anybody to like me. I do. I desperately want people to like me to, the, to a fault. No one else? No one else wants to admit it? That's fine. I will. So I want people to like me. And so high school, I was like, all right, I'm going to be an encourager. So high school... Talk to people, encourage people, and find something to praise, find something to build people up. Just because I want to be an encourager. Interestingly enough, everybody wants to talk to the guy who's an encourager. So then, I kind of come to this realization, like, nobody's encouraging me. Like, this is dumb. I'm just pouring out all the time. And so then what I did is I said, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to not talk to anybody. Went to school that day, put on my backpack, pulled my hat down. Like, I'll show these jokers. I ain't talking to nobody. And so I spent the whole entire day not talking to anybody. True story. I remember the day so well. And you know what? Nobody even talked to me that day. Nobody encouraged me. Nobody came around and was like, Matt, how have you been? You've been encouraging us all this time. Now it's time to encourage you. Nobody even cared. Why? Because people are selfish. They're filled with their own minds and their own ideas. They're not thinking about it. They're just drinking it in. And what's funny is when I stopped being an encourager, I was less encouraged myself. 
And so I was like, you know what, man? I'm just going to be to other people what I wish I had. I'm going to pour out of an empty cup. I'm going to bless other people. And when you go around and you bless people and you encourage people, somehow God miraculously fills your cup up as well. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Consider other people. What are they going through? Find something to praise and look for it. See, great if you want to have great relationships, they have to be honest. They have to be honest. David says to Jonathan here, he says, and then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I've found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Now, David is being brutally honest here. He he knows that death is inevitable. Like he doesn't, we know the rest of the story, but David in this moment is like, man, I really could die from this. Like Saul could come and kill me. Like this is really what's happening in my life. I'm going to be honest with you, Jonathan, about what's really going on in my life. I think I could die on this one. I really do. And I love the measure of honesty that David has in this relationship because oftentimes, People in relationships are afraid to be honest about what's really going on. They want to placate. They want to do whatever. And it's, it's funny because uh, throughout my ministry in my life, people say things like, man, I, and, and uh, it is what it is, but please don't read into it. But people say things like, man, I wish I could hang out with Matt and Crystal or whatever. And it's hard when you have a big church, everybody can't hang out. But what's really interesting, some people, once they've hung out with this, they don't want to hang out with this anymore. <laughs> Because the house of Gratunus is a house of brutal honesty. I don't, I, I'm not the guy that you come sit in my living room and pretend things aren't the way that they are. Dude, I'm going to pick and prod and poke. And you're going to be like, ow, man, that hurt. I'm not sure I want to come over to this house. Same thing, we're going to hang out. Because I, I, I can't stand fake. I don't have time for it. And so even like people I don't even know, I'll just dig and get into like what's really going on. Most of us in our family, extended family relationships, you go and you, you just placate. You're like, oh, it's just uncle so-and-so. It's just aunt so-and-so. We go and get together and tell these lies and eat Costco cake. You know what I mean? Is your family not like that? I hate those relationships. They're fruitless and they're boring. I got stuff I need to work on, man. I've got places I got to be. I want to know God better and I want things about me to be better. And so I, I've, I've got to be honest in my relationships. And so I love that David is, rela- is honest here in his relationship. He's not skirting around it. He says, Jonathan, I'm scared. This could cost me everything. Relationships that are unwilling to be truthful will never be fruitful. Don't lie to others. Like the Bible has a lot to say about lying and it's bad. And so if you have a relationship with a friend or a spouse and they're asking you honest questions, honest questions deserve an honest answer. And I'm not just talking about like, hey, how's it going? And like, oh, I want to complain about everything that's that's wrong in my life. It's like if you're in a relationship with somebody and they say like, hey, man, can we talk about some stuff? Be honest about it as painful as it may be, because it's it's the only way that you're going to grow is by having honest conversations. What does it mean to you? Are you honest? Are you honest with yourself and others? Or do you lie to yourself and others? The Bible says in Proverbs twelve twenty two that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. You'd think that we wouldn't have to talk about this in church, that lying is wrong. 
If you, it's funny, our, our staff meeting at church, we meet on Tuesdays, we meet for a couple hours, and there's a spirit of brutal honesty that falls inside of that staff meeting, and you do not want to be the odd man out in that room. We're, we're like relentless with each other. Someone will be like in a bad mood, and then all of a sudden, first item on the agenda, Matt's in a bad mood. Then everybody looks at you like, all right, man, let's deal with it. What's going on? Because we can't move forward until we talk about this. And we're not going to sit in this room, pretend that the elephant in the room isn't the elephant in the room. So let it out. Come on. How how can we lead this church if we're not going to be honest with each other? It's funny. People, people, uh, Pastor Todd is, (laughs) Pastor Todd's away this weekend, loving Aubrey's family reunion. (laughs) And, uh. I told Todd, I was like, I said, Aubrey, Todd, I really need Todd this weekend. Todd's like, yes, yes, I do. Anyway, and, and so people have talked to Todd and say like, oh man, I want to be in the ministry. And, and Todd will say to him like, listen, man, you can't handle the honesty, man. You can't. Like if, if you want to be a minister to God's people and, and you're unwilling to be self-reflective, if you're unwilling to just take it between the eyes and get it in the teeth, you are not going to be a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to work with all of your stuff, man. Every last one of it. It's what it takes. That's why me and Todd, sometimes we just sit in the office and we're like, all right, man, tell me something I don't want to hear that's going to hurt. I want to hear it. Tell me it. Oh, and then he gives it. Colossians 3, nine. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. With his deeds. Matthew 5.37 But let your yes be yes and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I get it, man. You want great relationships. And and it's funny, man. Let me me just get off note for just a minute. It's funny because in a marriage relationship, there's a reason why people get divorced a lot between year 5 and year 10. It's because... Before that, you spend a lot of years just lying to yourself and lying to your spouse. And I'm not talking about your deeds. I'm talking about like there's this facade that just kind of keeps up for years. And then when you actually come to the real work of the relationship, it's painful. And most people want to experience pleasure and avoid pain. So like divorce is a means to get out of that relationship. Instead of saying, okay, what's wrong with me? And what, what's wrong in this relationship that needs to be dealt with? Can we be honest about our thoughts and our feelings and our desires and our problems and be able to move forward? And that's not just marriages, that's friendships. That's church relationships. Fourth and finally, great relationships are selfless. Selfless. I love, this is my favorite part. Verse four. So Jonathan says to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. I will do it for you. This is a friend. (laughs) This is a friend. David lays himself on the coals. What's the problem with me? David, uh, Jonathan encourages him. David then is honest with him about what he's feeling. And so Jonathan steps up and he says, you know what, man? I want to be a friend to you. And I'm not going to make it about myself. I'm going to make it about you. You just tell me what you need and I'll make it happen. Just tell me what you need and I'll, and I'll make it happen. This is selfless living. If you, if you want great relationships, you've got to be selfless, selfless, not selfish. Luke 635, but love your enemies, do good and lend hoping for nothing in return. Jonathan was a selfless man. He was willing to do whatever David required to help him. David, I know you're struggling yourself, Jonathan. I know you need help. Jonathan, you can count on me. 
Philippians 2, 4, let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Jonathan's walking out that scripture. The problem with us is that we are all woefully selfish to the core. To the core, we're selfish. We want the big piece of chicken. We want the last piece of cake. We want people to listen to us and pay attention to us. We want to be first in line. We want to be first in traffic. We want everybody else to acquiesce to our demands. And it extends in our marriage relationships and our, and our kids, right? I mean, you can literally give birth to another human being. And then when they want like five bucks, you, your selfish heart will say, what do you need the money for? <laughs> and you don't even care about them. Your heart of hearts is the wicked selfishness in your own hearts because you want that money for yourself to buy stuff for yourself. Man, I could preach on that for days. Man, I love my kids. I love Faith and I love Gabe. I would do, I would die for them. I would literally die for them. But every time I give them 20 bucks, it feels like death by a thousand cuts. You know what I mean? It's just like, can I have some money? It's like, for what? I realize there's this lens I need for my camera. Right? Because that's really what it boils down to. Every time they take a dollar, it's a dollar. The, 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 the line just goes farther from pointless stuff that I want to buy. Yeah. Yeah. No one else? Yeah. I've been really looking at this shiny thing that I really need because my life is empty and I don't find my identity in Christ. And so every dollar you take from me is me not being able to buy this thing that I'm going to eventually donate to the goodwill five years from now. But right now... You don't need to go out with your friends for ice cream. I need ice cream. I'll buy you a half gallon. You guys can eat it at home. I'm going to Dairy Queen. Anybody else? Okay. It's not biblical Christianity. We're supposed to be selfless, not selfish. Luke 9, 23, and then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The, the Christian life is a life of self-denial. It applies in the church. It applies in your marriage, your friendships, your relationships at work. Selfless. Quit worrying about who's doing what at work and do what God has told you to do. It's what Paul taught in Galatians 5, 3, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but don't use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, selfishness, but through love, serve one another. That's how Paul lived, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win, win the more. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, when you're selfless, you give of your time. You give of your money. Money, money is worthless. Okay, it's not all it is is a representative of time, right? I give you money, you give me a bushel of apples because you made apples, and I worked at the widget factory. That's all it is. But it's a representative of our value, not like value, but of like our time. And so when you give somebody money or you give somebody your time, it's because you could have given your time to somebody else or given your money to something else. When you are in a conversation with somebody and you're there in the moment and you're not somewhere else, you're giving of yourself. When you quit eliminating hurry from your life, you're giving people your hearts. 
If you want to have great relationships, man, you you have got to look at yourself first, okay? You've got to be an encourager. You've got to be honest. And you've got to be selfless. And if you don't have those four things, your relationships are not going to go well. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? This morning, I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your opportunity to do so. And the gospel is really quite easy. Jesus says, if you want to live with me forever, I want you to turn away from your life, turn towards me and be forgiven of your sins. But it's not just that God wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants you to live for him a selfless life. If you've never made that decision before and you would say, do you know what? I, man, I live such a selfish life and I'm done with it. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm I'm ready to turn away from my old life. I want new life in Jesus. You don't even have to understand what it is. You just have to know like, man, I'm on a path to hell, but I want to get on that path to heaven. And if you've never made that decision before, and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you want to do that for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Don't let this moment pass you. Jesus is in this room. He's ready to save you, to set you free. Thank you, Jesus. Now, maybe you've been far from God. Maybe maybe you made a dedicated, maybe you gave your life to Jesus when you were in high school or college or back in your 20s or 30s. And you've been away from God for, man, five, ten years. I'm not talking about you had a bad weekend or things haven't been going well for the last couple weeks. I'm talking about you're sitting here this morning. You've been far from God. For years you've been far from God. And you're ready this morning. Like, you know what, Jesus, I'm done playing around. I know the truth, but I've been walking away from it. And I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to live this life anymore. I'm, I'm going to fully submit to you and serve you in the way that I know that I've been needing to serve you today. If you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, I'm, I need to rededicate. I see that hand. Who else needs to rededicate their life? Praise God. I see those hands. Don't let it be lip service. Let it be your heart. Anybody else? Hand held high. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Church, would you stand with me this morning in a spirit of prayer? Would you just stand? Would you close your eyes? Keep your eyes closed. Keep your head bowed. Okay? Those of you that raised your hands this morning, if you need some prayer, I'd like to ask you to walk to the front. We've got pastors and deacons and friends that will just pray with you for your rededication. If you want to do that, you can come up this morning and someone will pray with you. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no embarrassment. We're the family of God. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Deacons and pastors, will you help these people out, please? Pray with them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Megan, over here. Right here, right here, right here. I think rededications are even more exciting than a dedication. They know what they're getting into. Father, let your spirit reign supreme in this room and in our lives, God. We give our lives to you. Father, we, we dedicate our lives to you. We give you our lives, God. 
Father, the only reason we want to have great relationships is so we can lead more people to know you and to love you. That we wouldn't be about ourselves. We'd be about you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these people here this morning, God. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Would you raise a hand to the heaven this morning? To the heavens. Father, we give you our lives. Father, we give you our hearts. God, we give you everything that we love because we love you. In Jesus' name, 